Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. We need to understand that we do not obey God so that he will bless us. We obey God because we love him and it's all about the heart. We don't obey him, obey him for what he's going to do for us, that he'll bless us or make our lives better. We obey God for who he is. He is God alone. He sits on the throne all by himself. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we obey him because we love him and we want to honor him with everything that is in us. More than anything else, God says, I want your heart. I want you to seek me with all your heart. If I could tell you one thing in this year, it would be to seek God, not half-heartedly, not with a lukewarm spirit, but on fire and totally desire. God, I want more of you. What a tremendous song. Some of y'all remember the Myrie Clay, don't you? That's why you close your eyes, lift your voice, run a lap around the church. You remember the Myrie Clay, but how many know that the light that he's brought us into is so much better than where we once were? Amen, amen. Feel the presence of the Lord in this place. Amen. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Haggai, chapter 2. Amen. That is in the Old Testament, if you needed to know. It's a very tiny book right before we get to the New Testament. Amen. And I want to direct your attention to chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 10. And if you can't find it, we have it up on the screen for you. (laughs) The Bible says that in in the four and twentieth day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment with his skirt to touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Amen. And I just want to uh, talk to us uh, just for the next little bit on this uh, title, Where's Your Heart? Just very simple. Where is your heart? heart and uh the lord bless you you may be seated amen thank you so much for being in the house of the lord this morning we welcome everyone here and uh just gather together and anticipate great things that the lord has in store for his church um also happy march 1st praise god praise god it has been a long 2020 already (laughs) 
Um, I kind of want to briefly bring us up to speed to where we are at in, in this particular point in Scripture. Um, uh, back in 587 B.C. when the Babylonians under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Judah and crushed the temple that Solomon had built. And this was, uh, when you study this out, you realize that this was more uh, than a physical blow. This was a spiritual blow to God's people. For five decades, the Jewish people were held in bondage, in captivity. And so when they were allowed to actually go back and start to rebuild, you can only imagine the thrill that was in their hearts uh, uh, from being held captive. They were able to go back and start to rebuild not only their own lives, but also to rebuild God's temple, the house, to rebuild the dwelling place of God. And so they built the foundation, they built the altar, and then when the Samaritans opposed them, they panicked, all right? They started, you know, thinking that, that, that we can't do this, and so what you'll find out is that they had quit. And so God raises up the prophet Haggai and said, the time is now to build my temple. And so they started again. And they became incredibly discouraged. And as we pick up the story this morning, kind of reading between the lines, if you look at their attitude, you can find that many of them really battle the same battle that I feel many of us have. And I'm talking about that in internal battle, the battle of God. We are doing what you asked us to do, or at least we're trying to do what you have asked us to do, but things aren't going the way that we thought they would go. Anybody been there before? God, I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to do the very thing that you asked me to do, but I'm not seeing the results how I thought they would be. We're trying to do exactly, we're trying to obey, and yet we're not making progress. We're trying to obey you, God, and yet our life is still not working out very well. You can almost feel the cry of their hearts, God, we're obeying you, and yet where are you? Where are the results? Where are you at? Is it really worth it to serve and obey God? And this is a question I believe many people have asked and quite honestly still ask today. God, I'm trying to do life your way. I went to church and uh, I, I, I'm trying to do this thing and yet my life is still not working the way that I believe that it should. I had a conversation in the past couple of months or so with the gentleman who was kind of telling me his journey, his faith journey, and, and, and walking me through of all the different religions that he has tried and that he's tried to go to this church and that church and, you know, and that he reads his Bible, he studies his Bible, and uh, he seems to be pretty knowledgeable knowledgeable of the Bible and and then we kept going through the conversation and it finally arrived to the point where he said you know I was going to this church and he said I went there for a little bit but I you know I have a business and my business was not being blessed and I was faithful to church I was faithful to God but I wasn't quite seeing God be faithful to me and so he so he quit that church and a lot of 
of people go through this where we try to do it your way, God, but we're not seeing the results how we thought they would be. And we ask the question, is it really worth to serve and obey God? God, I'm trying to do life your way. The Jewish people, they were trying to build the temple. And it wasn't going the way that they thought it would be. And they're wondering, is it worth is it worth it to obey God in this area? And this is the problem that they battle with. And quite frankly, it's a problem that I believe we all have battled with. And that problem is this, conditional obedience. Conditional obedience. The problem of conditional obedience to God. God, as long as you are delivering me, sign me up. God, as long as you are blessing me, I'm on your team. God, I have no problem obeying your word as long as it doesn't cost me too much. As long as I see the results that I want to see, then I'll do what you want me to do. But if it makes me uncomfortable... If it costs me a little bit of time, if it if it's inconvenient or you're not doing what I think you should do, at this point, God, I draw back. I pull back. Conditional obedience. God, as long as you're blessing, as long as you're pouring it out, God, I'm there. I'll be faithful. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll do it as long as it doesn't cost me that much. You know, maybe your kids aren't like this, but at our house, our kids have developed this disorder of selective listening. Selective. I know that's not, I know your children wear halos and stuff, but at our house, it's a different story. All right. You know, we could be, they could be in the other room and we're like, Hey, Hey kids. Hey, can you, can you come out here and help clean up the playroom? Crickets. Hey, can you come out? Hey, we're going to, we're going to do, we're going to fix this over here. We're going to clean up this part of the house. Nothing. But somehow they can hear me preheat the oven. I, I kid you not. I'm in the I'm in the kitchen the other day, and I preheat the oven for a frozen pizza, and I hear Bennett in the other room, in excitement with excitement in his voice, come running saying, "Daddy's making something." <laughs> Can't hear anything else, but they can hear. Me preheat in the oven. What is that? It is selective listening. It's I'm I'm hearing what I want to hear. I, I'll obey the commands that I want to hear. You see, we can, if we're not careful, we can be like this. We can be like this with God. Oh God, I love, I love that part about that. Many the plans you have in your heart to bless us and prosper us and not to harm us, but to give us a hope and a future. I love that. Oh, I love that verse, God. I love to read that about you blessing me and you're going to give me a future, a hope, 
something that I can hold on to. You're gonna, you got a promise for me. You got a word. And I love that. And I hear that. But love my neighbor. Pray for those who despitefully use me. God, I don't really think you know who my neighbor is. Like, have you, have you met the man or the woman that I live next to? They're not really a neighbor. They're more like an enemy. And he says, oh, pray for your enemies. And sure, God, I'll pray for them. I'll pray that they move to the other side of town or the other side of the county. I can pray for that. You see, we hear God clearly when he is blessing us. But when there's the possibility of our obedience having a cost, all of a sudden our phone loses the signal. God, are you still there? If we don't hear that, it's selective listening. I'll take this one part, but not the other part. And I'll listen to that verse, but not this verse. And I'll obey in this area, but this area is, uh, I'll just leave that alone. It's I'll obey as long as I'm comfortable. It's conditional obedience. But what we need to understand this morning is that God does not give us options to consider, but commands to obey. Hear that this morning. He does not give us options to consider, but simply commands to obey. And this is what Haggai does. If you look back, you'll see where God's people turned away from him and they worshiped idols and their hearts were not with God, not even close. And so God tells the prophet to ask the priest some questions. And if you're reading this in chapter two, you're like, man, these are some odd questions and I'll try to make them not so odd for you this morning. But here's what he asked the priest. He says, if one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes. Now you stop right there. You think that's kind of weird. What's he talking about carrying meat in his robes? What's going on here? You're probably like, what does that mean? So just so you know, and so we're all clear, the priests, when they were going to sacrifice, they would always wear their robes. They would take uh, holy or sanctified meat and they would take the robes and they would fold it up kind of into a little pocket to keep the meat. All right. And so what Haggai is going to do is he's going to ask if your robe, which is now touching something that is holy, something that is sanctified. Uh, if, if that robe that is touching that, that which is holy, if it brushes up against something that is unholy, does the holiness rub off onto the unholiness? And does the unholiness become holy from that? And that's what he's asking here. He says, if one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robe and his robe happens to brush up against some bread or stew or wine or olive oil or any kind of food, will it also become holy? And the priest replied, they said, no. In other words, the holiness doesn't rub off onto the unholiness. I'll give you a modern example. If my hands are clean, and I keep them clean. If you know me, I am a germaphobe. All right. And I'm, and, and that's just good practice for all of us, right? Let's wash our hands. All right. So 
My hands are clean. If I go up and I touch a plate that has, let's say, uh, uh, sp spaghetti sauce on it, does my clean hand make that plate cleaner? No, right? All right. In fact, <laughs> the dirty plate might make my clean hands dirty. And this is what he was saying. And then he illustrates that principle in verse 13. He says, if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person, you touch a dead person and now they're unclean. This makes you unclean. And then if that person touches any of these foods, will they be defiled? And the priest answered, yes. And what he's doing He's basically showing that sin is like a disease, all right? Sin spreads easier than holiness. It's the corruptive power of sin. Paul said it this way in the New Testament. He said, bad company corrupts good character. Is that what he said? Bad company corrupts good character. He didn't say that good company cleanses bad character. He said that there's the corruptive power of sin and that that power of sin, it stains everything that it touches. And this is where the text gets a little bit tough. Verse 14, Haggai responds, this is how it is with this people and this nation, says the Lord. Hear this. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. All right? You know what God was saying? He said it's in their hearts. It is in their hearts are no longer with me. Their hearts have turned away from me. And now they are going after idols and not after me. And because of that, God says everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. You may not like this idea, but when your heart isn't right with God, everything you do is going to be wrong. Please let that sink in this morning. Jump over to the New Testament. Jesus said this, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus said, hey, hey, if you're going to go to the church one day and you want to give an offering, you're going to go up to the altar to give the offering. But first you remember that you have something in your heart against someone else. What did he say? First First, leave your gift at the altar and go make the relationship right. What's he saying? Get your heart right and then come back and give your gift at the altar. Yes. Yes. Because if your heart is not right, it doesn't matter what you do. That's why I'm asking the question, where is your heart this morning? Because that's what really matters. And parents, you know this to be true with your children. One kid, one kid does something wrong to the other kid, makes him cry, hits him or whatever. All right. And, and, and so the kid starts crying. What do you do? Kid one, apologize to kid two. All right. You say you're sorry. Sorry. Did that count? 
He says, sorry, and walks away. Does that count or not? No. Right thing, wrong heart. Right thing, wrong heart doesn't count. And so you get onto them and say, go up and say it like you mean it. Sorry. <laughs> and they stand there for a couple seconds and then walk away. Does that count? No. And so we're like, you say sorry and you give them a hug. What am I talking about? See, your attitude matters. Does it matter? Your attitude matters. And if your heart isn't right, whatever you do, whatever you're going to do is completely wrong. So what do we see often? Oh God, I'll, I'll do what you say and I'll obey and I'll, I'll obey as long as you do what I want you to do. God, I'll obey as long as you're working it out for me. I'll obey you as long as it doesn't cost me too much or it isn't convenient for me. And this is a completely dead wrong approach to our God. We need to understand that we do not obey God so that he will bless us. We obey God because we love him and it's all about the heart. We don't obey him, obey him for what he's going to do for us, that he'll bless us or make our lives better. We obey God for who he is. He is God alone. He sits on the throne all by himself. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we obey him because we love him and we want to honor him with everything that is in us. This is why getting our hearts in order matters so much. The condition of your heart. If you think it's been challenging so far in Scripture up until this point in our text, let's just keep going because I don't think we've seen anything yet. God reminds his people. You see, God's about the heart, all right? God's going to get down to the, the, the heart of the issue. All right. He reminds his people in Haggai 2 verse 15. He says, he says this, look at what was happening to you before you begin to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. He says, look, do you remember? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember where you, before they laid the foundation back in chapter one, there's this verse that I believe so many people identify with Haggai one, one and verse six. He says, you have sown so much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but there is none of you that is warm. He that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag that has holes in it. Church, God told them to consider their ways. He said, hey, if you're drinking, but you're still thirsty, you're eating, but you're still hungry, you're putting money in your pockets with holes in it. In other words, you're doing everything you can to have meaning in this life, but you're still empty. You're accumulating as much wealth and things and having as much fun as you can, but you feel like there's something more. You're consuming everything that you can, and yet there's not enough. There's nothing that's left over. He said, you remember that before you ever started building the foundation. Before you built the foundation, that's where you were. Drinking and eating and working, but nothing to show for it. He said, you remember that? 
And then at verse 16, he says this, when you hope for a 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. How many of you would like to work for 20 bucks an hour? And then when you get your paycheck, you realize it was only 10 bucks an hour. That's what's going on. That's what's happening. The next verse says, when you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. Verse 17 is really, really tough. God says this. He says, I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Whoa. Ouch. God, you did, you did what? Now, if I'm being honest, Brother Hogan, I kind of got to stop right there and, and, and wonder and really ask. Why in the world would a good God, why would he stop us from having provision when we're doing everything we can just to survive? And most people ask that question. Should I continue serving God when it's not working like I thought it would work? Does God truly love me? Why would he stop the provision when I'm doing everything I possibly can just to make ends meet? I'm down here doing everything I can. Why would God cut off the supply? Why would he do that? Could a good God do that? Could a loving God do that? The next part of the verse, I think, really helps us to see why God does that. Verse 17, he says, I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. And then God says, even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. And there it is. There's the reason. You see, God is not trying to punish his people. God was trying to restore his people. What I found out about God is that sometimes God may not change your negative situation because God is ultimately trying to change your heart. Where's your heart? Let me just say this, and I want to be very, very careful right here because what I'm not saying is if sometimes something's bad is going on in your life, I'm not saying that you deserve it and that God is sending it. I'm not saying that. We need to understand that sometimes God may allow something bad with a purpose to get our attention and draw our hearts back to him. There are other times when bad things happen just a result of a spiritual enemy attack. The enemy loves to attack those that are on track, right? Those that are on course and doing work for God. A lot of times, many, many times, there are bad things that are a result of a spiritual attack on God's people. Or it's just the reality that you and I live in a sinful, broken world. And there are bad things that happen. So if there's something that's going on bad in your life right now, uh, it's not up me up here saying, well, you deserve it and God is trying to get your attention. But what I am saying is there are times when our hearts are turned away from him and, and God may allow or even cause something with the intention of bringing our hearts back to him. There are times when God may allow. What's really loving to me is what God did. 
All he did was cut off their supply. Read it. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't make them sick. He didn't take their children away. He didn't do something cruel. He just cut off their supply. Basically, to get their attention turned back to him. Oh, yeah, God, you're the provider. You're the source. God, it is you that we need to be looking to. Our hearts need to return to you. They need to come back to you. If you don't think that's loving, I would say that us as parents, we do the very same thing. If you're a loving parent, you would do the exact same thing to a rebellious kid. If your kid is off at college and you're sending them money every single month and all of a sudden you find out that they're drinking it up, smoking it up, partying it up, what are you going to do as a loving parent? Cut it off. I will cut off the supply. I will cut off the support. Why? Because you're not representing the values. And until your heart comes back to these values, I'm not going to continue to supply your lifestyle. And this is what God said. I'm not trying to punish you. I'm trying to restore you because I want your heart. Your heart is turned away from me and I desire to be drawn back. If you go back to the beginning of the book, the simplicity of God's message, I love it that God makes it simple. All the way back at chapter one, they're like, they're like, I know we're supposed to build it, but we don't know how God. And God said, here's how you do it. It's very, very simple. There's one, two, three steps. You can't miss this, okay? He says, number one, go up to the mountain. Number two, bring down the timber. Number three, build the temple. All right, God lays it out. Very, very simple. That's how you do it. God says, just do it. Just go. This is what you do go up to the mountain bring down the timber build the temple go up to the mountain cut down the timber and build the temple all right easy then they're doing it but they're discouraged we're discouraged God and we want to give up we want to throw in the towel and we want it we, we don't want to quit and God says it's so easy just be strong be strong be faithful just do the work put down another stone lay down another stone put down another stone just stay in the game and just be faithful one stone on top of another just do it just be strong and then we're here this morning in our text and God has one simple message of Above all else, God says, I desire for your heart to turn back. More than anything else, I want your heart. More than anything else, God says, I want your heart. I want you to seek me with all your heart. If I could tell you one thing in this year, it would be to seek God, not half-heartedly, not with a lukewarm spirit, but on fire and totally desire. God, I want more of you. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. We got to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God says, he says, this is what happened. You used to love me. I used to be first, but guess what? Now you've turned away and you started worshiping idols and I desire your heart. I want your heart. I want to be first in everything. I want you to pursue me with all your heart. And when you seek God with all your heart, 
Scripture promises you will find him. Yes, yes. In the New Testament, Jesus says there is one command above all others, and that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Church, it is about the heart. If your heart isn't right with God, then everything you do is wrong. But when your heart is right with God, you'll see him start to bless you. You'll see him start to show up in your life when your heart is right. Because it's all about the condition of your heart. Where's your heart? God says, I want your heart. And I don't care if you got this in the world. And I don't care if you work this job. And I don't care if you have a nice house. But God says, don't put your house ahead of my house. I want your heart. We don't obey God, so God will bless us. We obey God because we love him. Yes. If our music would come this morning, this is why what we do is so important. This is why corporate worship together, what we're doing in this place today, is so vital where we come together in the church and we sing praise and worship unto God and we entertain his presence. You know what we're doing? We're saying, God, we love you with our whole heart. When you lose yourself in worship, you gather together in the presence of almighty God. Brothers and sisters together, we gather together with other believers and we say, God, we want to do life that is centered around you, that is centered around your word. It's your heart. That's why, that's why the tithe matters so much among so many other things. God, as you bring increase, I choose in my heart to put you first and to worship you, God. I seek you with all my heart. That's what we do. Where's your heart? One time Jesus quoted from the book of Isaiah. And if Jesus ever quotes scripture, can we just all agree that it's pretty important? He quotes from Isaiah chapter 14. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I'm afraid today if there is any, if there is any problem in Western Christianity today, it is conditional obedience. I'll do, I'll go, I'll, I'll say, God, whatever you want me to say, I'll do. But it's, it's, it's only as long as you are going to work it out and do this for me. Can I tell you today, that is a business deal. God's not looking for a business deal. That's what we do at the table. We negotiate. Hey, if you will I, or if I do this, will you? 
That's negotiation going back and forth. God's not wanting a business deal with you. God wants a relationship with you. God's not looking for an employee. He's looking for somebody just to walk with you. Here's the beauty of this story. The beauty of this story is God got their hearts. Not only were they building the temple, were they obeying, but God had their hearts. And because their hearts, I want you to see this, because their hearts had come back to him, so did the blessings. Not only because they obeyed, but it's because their hearts were right. That's the amazing part of this story. God says this to them, even though they hadn't finished the temple, even though they didn't do anything to deserve it, only because their hearts had changed. God said, I am giving you a promise now. He said, I'm giving you the promise now while the seed is still in the barn. He said, you have not harvested your grain and your grapevines, your fig trees, your pomegranates, and your olive trees have not yet produced. In other words, you still got some work to do. You still got some planning to do. It's not even harvest time. But here's what God says. From this day onward, I will bless you. Even though you hadn't planted the seed, <laughs> it's not even harvest time. But you have a harvest of blessings. Not uh, uh, why? Not because you built the temple. Not because of any of those things. But because you gave me your. Where's your heart? You stand with me this morning. Above all else, God says, "I want your heart." And there are those of you that are here today, if you're really honest, God is going to do a miracle in you today. And no one may see it because it's not a miracle on the outside. It's a miracle on the inside. You may be obeying outwardly, but you are rebellious or discontent inwardly. And I am pleading, I'm preaching to you today. No more lip service. Give him your whole heart. We don't obey God so that he will bless us. We obey because we love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And there are those today, I believe, that long to return to him. That long for their hearts to turn back and fully worship him today would you lift up your hands in this place I want to take a moment in this place would you just reflect I want you to be really really honest be honest with yourself I wonder how many of you kind of look the look and know the language and know how to play the game but your heart is not close to the one who gave his life for you if that's you today the amazing thing is the moment that you turn back God is ready for you with arms wide open you don't have to work your way back and just say I'm coming back, but he embraces you and he's got a word. He's got a promise. He's got a blessing for you. Even though the seed hasn't been planted, God's got a blessing. Come on. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.